the splendor of the King, clothed in majesty, let all the earth rejoice, all the earth rejoice, he wraps himself in light, come on help me family. And darkness tries to hide. It trembles at his voice. It trembles at his voice. How great is our God. Sing with me how great is our God. And all will see how great. How great is our God. Age to age he stands. Age to age he stands. And time is in his hands. It trembles at his voice. It trembles at his voice. The God at three in one. Father, Spirit, and Son. The Lion and the Lamb. The Lion and the Lamb. How great is our God. Sing with me how great is our God, and all will see how great, how great is our God. Father God, you are a great God, and we can pause in the midst of painful situations and seasons with lamentations on our heart, tears on our cheek, but joy in our soul, because you have not forsaken us. You are with us. You walk with us. You go above us, beneath us, within us, around us, to lead us and guide us by streams of still water. You are a good, good shepherd, and we thank you for that. Now it's preaching time, and because you're a great God, would you open our eyes? Would you open our ears? Help us to see beyond our circumstances And hear what the Spirit of the Lord has to say to his church. And Lord, we love you today. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said amen and amen. Amen, family. The gospel according to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. We are walking through the book of Luke and uh, having a wonderful time as we are studying God's holy word. I want to thank my beloved brothers, the elders, for all of their hard work. Can we give them a hand today? Come on, elder. Yeah, let's give them a hand. Let's praise God for them. Leading God's church well. Thank you, brothers. You're doing a good job. Luke chapter 5, verses 1. If you have it, say, I got it. All right. Yeah, you do. It's on the screen. Amen. Luke chapter 5, amen. And so it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake 
of Genasaret. And he saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the multitudes from the boat. Now, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, that's Peter, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and have caught nothing. But nevertheless, at your word, I will let down your net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their nets were breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat, come and help us. And they came, and they filled both boats, so that they began to sink. Now when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so were also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, for from now on you will catch men. So, when they had brought their boats to the land, they forsook all, and they followed him. And all God's people said, amen? I'm going to tag this message today on our journey through this walk in the Gospel of Luke, a call into ministry of fishing for men. The story is told of a group of ministers and businessmen who were one day holding their organization's conventions in the same hotel. Now, there was this world-class chef who was known for making these awesome meals and desserts. The businessmen wanted for their particular dessert this watermelon dish that was loaded with alcohol. And the chef prepared the meal, and he sent it out, and he noticed, "Uh uh-oh, the ministers got the watermelon. So he sent the waiters out real quick. True story. He told the waiters, go get that back. That was not intended for the pastors. The waiter runs out, and he looks, and he comes back in, and he tells the chef, oh, brother chef, I'm so sorry. They're eating it. And the chef looks out and he says, well, are they enjoying it? The waiter says, I don't know, but they put the seeds in their pocket. (laughs) Oh, what? You didn't get it. Okay. Here's the moral of that true story. Good ministry will make people want to go home and do it. That's what's happening in our text today. Good ministry is about to affect and impact the lives of these four disciples. And guess what? They're going to forsake everything to follow Jesus. Beloved, 
When we come to our text today, there are several points I'd like for us to discuss. Number one, let's look at the disciples' command, the disciples' critique, the disciples' catch, and the disciples' confusion. They'll all be on the board for you behind me. Verse number three opens our text with the command. Verse three says, then he, Jesus, he got into one of the boats as he was teaching that crowd, which was Simon's, and he asked Simon to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the multitude. Jesus had a teaching ministry. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, now launch out a little further into the deep and let down your nets. Family, when we come to this portion of the text, Jesus again is preaching and teaching to this large crowd of people on the shore of Genesaret. He sees two boats with fishermen working and they're cleaning their nets at the end of the day. And he gets into one of those boats and he asks Simon, hey, push me out a little so I can teach from your boat. Now, according to this passage, at the conclusion of his message, Jesus then gives these four disciples a command. And the command is this, RCC, launch out into the deep. Here it is, get out of the shallow lands. Why is that important? Well, when it comes to this portion of the verse, Jesus, yes, is not asking the disciples if you want to catch fish. He's instructing them on how to catch fish. This is very important because when you read this passage, first of all, Jesus sees them working on the sea. He saw them attempting to accomplish a task. And when the time is right, he is then instructing them on what it is they need to do. They've got to launch out into the deep. And here's what I learned about this passage. If Peter and the men were going to catch fish, they needed a strategy for how they were going to do it. Secondly, if they were going to catch fish, they had to relocate to the place where the fish were dwelling. Can I say some more? Third of all, I notice in the text that if they're going to catch fish, they've got to let down their nets. And notice this. This is the call for them to work corporately together, not individual. They didn't fish with fishing poles like we do in our day. They had nets, and the nets were to be done with teams of people serving together. Here's the application of the passage. Jesus is using verbs in this text to denote action. This action is a command from those who would be fishermen. In other words, the timing for soul winning is when Jesus gives you the cue to launch out and follow his instructions. This passage is teaching me a strategy for evangelism in the local church. If you'll give me time today, I'll do my best to unfold this for you because there will be many things that come to us, RCC, to pull us away from what God is calling us to do. We have to have hearts and minds that are sensitive to the Spirit of God, even in seasons of tough times. 
And God is still in seasons of tough times wanting to work in his church and through his church. And I don't believe there's any um, um, mistake that we land at Luke chapter 5 at this time in our journey together. I believe God is calling us to be fishers of men. And I believe. His strategy is being unfolded for us today in our local church. I believe that the child of God, yes, is called to work corporately together as a family. We are not to be divided. We're to be on one accord doing the work of the Lord that God has called us to for the kingdom of God. This passage gives us three actionable challenges to win souls for the local church. Number one, if the church is going to win lost people who are hanging between the balance of heaven and hell, she's got to have a strategy to do it. And here's what I noticed. It's in the deep areas of life where men and women, boys and girls are in need of a savior. It's in the deep areas of the community where souls are swimming between the balance of heaven and hell. And there are countless souls in the marketplace, in our educational systems, in our penal institutions, lost on our streets, in our cul-de-sacs, in our neighborhoods, in the halls of our government that are in need of a savior. And if the church is going to reach them, we've got to launch out into the areas where they are. Let me say it like this. If we're going to catch souls... We got to let down our nets and we've got to let down our nets where Jesus calls us to do so. I hear your question. Thank you for asking it. Where are the nets, Pastor? What is the nets? The net is the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, only the gospel can save a good program, a good motivational speech, Good wisdom from the smartest books and the smartest libraries is not God's plan of salvation. God's plan of salvation is still the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is still the good news for a lost and a dying world. I'm hunting for an amen right there. The gospel net is so powerful, it'll catch any man at any time, in any condition, at any place, in any area of sin. The gospel net is still the one. Guess what? It catches brown fish, black fish, small fish, tall fish, fluffy fish, skinny fish. Come on, talk to me. Rich fish, small fish. It catches everything swimming in the ocean of life. It's the good news of salvation. And God has called RCC to launch out into the deep and let down our nets. Why? There's somebody. He wants us to reach. But here's the thing. Third of all, we must not only launch out and let down our nets, we must have an expectancy. Do you know when I come here to preach on Sunday morning, I'm expecting something to happen. I'm not coming here going through the motions. I'm expecting for somebody to leave here with a word from God or either mad or something. Amen. But there'll be something that happens as a result of you coming here. Why? I prayed all week long. 
studying the word all week long. And so when I stand here, I have an expectancy, just like God has an expectancy of us when we come to let down the net. We must believe that Jesus still saves. We must believe that Jesus is still the answer for the world today. We must believe that Jesus can save fathers, mothers, sons, daughters, strangers, best friends. Come on, talk to me. Enemies, we must believe that the word of God still works. And lastly, I learned in this passage, when we let down our nets to receive a catch that the Lord has prepared, we've got to do it in the location that he tells us to do it in. And I just believe that every church in the local community is the Lord's location to catch fish swimming in the neighborhood. We've looked at the disciples' command. Can I show you now? the disciples' critiques. Verse 5, the Bible says, after the Lord gave this message to Simon to launch out in his boat, Simon answered and said to him, Master, Jesus, we toiled all night and we've caught nothing. And nevertheless, at your word, I'm going to let down the net. When you come to this portion of the text, family, we get to see Simon Peter critique the command of the Lord. Here's what I mean. Simon, in this passage, tells Jesus about the circumstances and the conditions from which they have currently been laboring in. He says, Lord, we already been fishing. We already tried to catch fish. We already let down our nets. We've already been out in the deep. And there ain't nothing out there for us to catch. Here's what I learned in this passage. According to Simon, there were no more fish to be caught. According to Simon, nothing was available in the whole sea. According to Simon, fishing right now ain't what we should be thinking about, Jesus. According to Simon, they had toiled all night Long, they were working while everyone else was asleep. According to Simon, this was a bad idea. And I noticed that it was Simon's failed attempts that caused critique to rise up in Simon's mind. Stay with me, loved ones. This is a sad picture right here. It's a sad picture because unbelief in the command of God will almost cause Simon to miss what God is doing. I'll say it another way. Unbelief, family, is a dangerous thing when it causes you to critique what you hear God saying. See, to not believe the command of God is to leave one's life in a deficit. To not trust in what the Lord is saying is to not experience God at the time that his word is being spoken. Secondly, I learned in this passage that the disciples have an opportunity here to join God in what he is doing and to experience God like they've never experienced him before. Sure, they had some bad news. Sure, they had a season when nothing was going right. That still wasn't time to quit. It was going to take faith on Simon's part. 
to trust the word, to trust what Jesus was saying, and to believe that he was commanding him, that rather what he was commanding him to do would produce evidence that he was God. See, it wasn't just about Jesus doing this to give Simon them fish. He wanted them to see that he was God. And this is an invitation in the midst of a difficult season to believe his word and to trust him with his assignment. Uh, I notice in the text, though, in spite of Simon's doubts, this is the good part, family, in spite of his struggles, in spite of his past experiences, in spite of his professional expertise, he was willing to trust God at his word. Isn't that good news? I don't believe he was really convinced that there was fish. I just think he was being, um, what's my word, kind to his rabbi, respectful. So he uses the word, nevertheless, at your word, I'll do it. He didn't want to do it. He's just being respectful. And so he does it. But I like that right there about Simon. Can I tell you why? I like it because even though he's being respectful, even though he's got a track record of watching Jesus work and seeing things, he's still being vulnerable enough to say, okay, I'll do it. Because last Sunday when we were together, we studied about how Jesus healed his mother-in-law. In Simon's house. The week before, we studied about how Jesus went to the synagogue with Simon and cast out the demon that was in the man. So Simon's got a track record of knowing that God can do whatever he want to do. But when he gets to this point, his faith is really not there today. Have you had those days before? Well, you've seen God do something in the past, Miss Lydia, but today I don't know God. I'm just not really feeling it. But nevertheless, it's your word. Pastor said I ought to do this, right? (laughs) So I'm going to trust you. I love this Bible. This Bible is amazing. It just comes alive and it just lets me see I'm really real. Here's what stood out to me about this portion of the text. Listen to what he says. Dr. Cho, he says, nevertheless, at your word. Oh, snap in my neighborhood. At your word, what word? The same word that that healed my mother-in-law. At your word. The same word that cast out devils. At your word. The same word that heals the paralyzed and the disease. At your word, I'm going to give it a try. Wow. I like this because this is what we call in the believer's walk, The crisis of belief. Every believer must encounter the crisis of belief. If you're going to see God work in the midst of difficult situations. See, the crisis of belief, yes, here you go, family, is that place or predicament that God has brought you to. And where God will give you the test to see if you really trust him. Here's what I've learned in my 32 years now of preaching. God never tempts me. The devil tempts you. God tests you to see what's in you. 
to see if you really will grow as a result of this trial and this obstacle that's brought before you. Simon has a test. Nevertheless, Lord, at your word, I'll give it a try. I want to encourage somebody here today who's at the precipice and you've got a crisis of belief. I want to encourage you today. Hang on in there, beloved. Don't give up. Don't quit on God's church. Don't quit on God. He's still God. And accept this beautiful moment, as painful and ugly as it can be, accept it because when God brings us through, oh my goodness, we're going to be dropping nets all over the place, bringing in those people who need a Savior. This is a moment for us to get to know God like we've never known him before. I'm hunting for an amen right there. We've looked at the disciples' command. We've looked at the disciples' critique. Let me show you now the disciples' catch. The Bible says in verse 6 that when they, when they had done this, that's the corporate piece, they caught a great number of fish and their nets were breaking. So they signaled, Brother Mike, to the other partners in the other ship, bring the other boats. And they came too. And they filled both boats so that their nets began to break, or their boats began to sink, rather. When you come to this portion of the text, we get to see what happens when you trust God in spite of what your experience has been and what your circumstances are. See, the Bible says in verse 6, when they had done this, when they obeyed the word of the Lord, when they had responded in obedience by faith, they caught what they had been fishing for. When they obeyed, they caught so many fish, the nets were breaking. Secondly, they had so many fish, they had to reach out to partners to help them bring in this load. And I like this because it says, when they obeyed God, they had more than enough. Yes, yes, more than what they expected, more than what they anticipated, more than they planned for, more than they could ever even ask or think. Lastly, they had so many fish, their little boats begin to sink. And here's what I learned about the passage. God is trying to teach me. He's trying to teach me as his disciples. Wilson, you can trust my word. You can trust my word. And when you trust my word, you're going to get to see things about me that you never saw about me before. It's the invitation, beloved, to join him and what he's doing in the midst of your crisis. This is evidence that God will always be more than enough and that he will always reveal himself to his children in the dark night of the soul. Again, he had already demonstrated his power over diseased devils in difficult situations. Now he's going to prove that he is the God of creation by providing for these disciples when they least thought he could provide. Dr. Cho, I think you appreciate this being a poet yourself. An unknown poet wrote these words. He says, doubt sees the obstacles 
But faith sees the way. Doubt sees the darkest night. But faith sees the day. Doubt dreads to take a step. But faith, she soars on high. Doubt always questions who believes that. But faith answers I. Peter and the boys had a critique about what God had commanded them to do. But after trusting in his word, they got to experience God like they never got to do before. I got a question for us as a family, RCC. Is there anybody here today willing to take a risk to launch out in the deep for God? Is there anybody here today ready to try God at his word? Is there anybody here today ready to trust in the word of the Lord? We've looked at the disciples' command, the disciples' critique, and the disciples' catch. Let me land the plane now and show you the disciples' confession. The Bible says in verse 8, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees. And listen to what he says to his master. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish which they had taken. And so were also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And then Jesus says to Simon's confession, Simon, do not be afraid, for from now on, you're going to catch men. So when they had brought their boats to the land, they forsook all and followed him. Beloved, thank you for listening today. Thank you for being a part of this exegetical journey with us through this great book of Luke. When we come to this portion of the text, we get to see what God is doing. We also get to see a good look at our brother Simon, who is really all of us. Peter here falls to his knees, and guess what he confesses? Not how grateful he is for the plenty or the bounty he has just poured in. He confesses he's a sinful man. I like this right here. He confesses, God, my life ain't right. He confesses, I've got some issues. No pride in this man right here. He confesses, I rebelled against you. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinful man. Now, why is this powerful? It's powerful to see because at the sight of God's provision over his life and the miracle and the size of the catch, Peter recognizes who he's in the presence of. And he says, I'm a sinful man. Oh, can I tell you, it's confessions like that that'll transform your worship experience. If we all came in here on Sunday morning and before we did anything else, got on our knees and said, God, we're sinners. We didn't get it right this week. And we don't deserve to be in your presence. But we're here to confess that you're God and we are not. Oh, my goodness. And God is so delighted in what Peter does, right? He says to Peter, Peter, guess what? I did all this 
so you can catch men. Now that you know who I am, now that you know what I'm capable of doing for you, now that you know why the Father sent me here, I want you now to catch men. Can I come off of my notes for you for just a minute? I need an amen before I do that. Okay. I'm asking for permission this time, amen. You know what I like about this? Because Peter is a sinful man, it doesn't discredit him from having a meeting with God. I want you to stay in there with me. There's not a man on this planet that's without sin. There's not a woman on this planet that's without sin. Every single person that's been born of a woman has been born outside of a reconciliatory relationship with God. That's why you need Jesus. There's not a church on the planet that's without sin. And we can try all we want to, to be sinless and perfect. You do that. Go for it. It ain't going to happen. Somebody's going to sin and sin is going to pack and affect the work that we do in the local church. But we can't get stuck there. We can't get stuck. So glad God, Jesus, does not leave Simon at his confession. He confesses he's a sinful man. He says, yeah, now get up because I got some work for you to do. You're going to now catch other men. I like this. What kind of men? Men who are sinners just like you. Men who are tore up. We say in my neighborhood, tore up from the floor up. Yep, that's all of us. That's what he's going to do. He's going to use Simon. And I like this. Guess what the Bible says? And I'm coming down. That when they got those boats to the shore after the big catch, this shows me how that experience transformed their life. They forsook all, and they followed him. Wow. After the miracle, after they saw who Christ was, they dropped their nets, and they followed Jesus. And I made a list right here of four things that I think every disciple of Jesus Christ needs to take into their heart. If you're going to forsake all and follow him, there are four things I recommend we do. We do. Number one, let's continue to observe Jesus' ways in Scripture. How did he handle stuff? Number two, let's continue to observe his words in Scripture. How did he speak about stuff? Number three, let's continue to observe the master's work in Scripture. How did he go about his profession? Number four, let's continue to observe the master's will in Scripture. These four elements, I believe, will help you and I as we follow Christ as disciples in a broken world, forsaking the things of this world to live unto God. I'm closing now. But after your confession and your observation, after you've made the commitment at our Lord's table today to follow him in discipleship, know that God wants to use you as a fisher of men. The poet G.E. Wagner wrote these words, my beloved brothers and sisters. He said, if God could hang the stars on high, 
can paint the clouds that drift on by, can send the sun across the sky, what can he do with you? If he can send a storm through space and dot the trees on the mountain's face, if he the sparrow's way can trace, what can he do through you? If God can do such little things as count our hairs <laughs> or birds that sing, control the universe that swings, what can he do through you? Oh, my beloved, God through you can do great things. God working through you can preach the gospel, serve the poor, give of our time, our talent, our treasure. God through us could help us reach a broken humanity. And what the world needs today is not more leaders, but followers. That's what Christ is calling for. Followers. I'm coming down, and there's a story I read from S.I. McMillan in his book, None of These Diseases. He said there was a young girl who was applying for college, and she had her schools all lined out, and she found this one she really loved. And in the application process, there was one question on her beloved choice, and that question read in the blank, Are you a leader? And she said after deep reflection, no, I'm not. And she put it in the application and haphazardly just kind of sent it off. Not expecting to hear back from the college, she got a letter one day and it said, Dear applicant, upon study of your application forms, we found out that this year our college is going to have 1,452 new leaders. But we're accepting your application because we feel it's imperative that they at least have one follower. <laughs> I like that right there. Can I tell you why? Jesus is looking for followers, not leaders. He don't need you to come alongside and tell him what to do. He needs you to follow what he's doing. He's the leader I'm looking for. Amen right there. He's the leader of the Wilson home, not me. He's the leader of what he wants us to do. He's the leader. I'm the follower. And wherever he leads, I will follow. Will you follow him today? Will you follow him as we go to the table and look at the cross where he was stretched high and dropped low with nails in his hands, a crown of thorns on his head, a spear in his side for every sin that humanity has ever done. Will you follow him as he goes into a borrowed tomb, takes the sting out of death, and rises early Sunday morning from the grave with all power of heaven and earth in his hand? Will you follow him in the believer's prayer as we see him at the right hand of God making intercession for us, Jesus today calling you and I to be fishers of men. And all God's people said, amen. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Our Father and our God, thank you so much for a challenging message that reminds us in difficult times 
that you are the Christ. There is none like you. We've come today now to your table to tell you thank you and to reflect on the awesome power that you have to make us one, to bring us back into a right relationship with your Father. Help us to see you like we've never seen you before. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.